love that about this church. Everybody loves to fellowship and visit. And that's really what the church is supposed to be, a place where you come. And uh, although you might not be related by blood of this world, you are related by the blood of Christ. And you are brothers and sisters. And it's a joy to be together. I mean, we've said again and again, we survived the polar vortex of 2019. And today's Super Bowl Sunday, and Tom Brady's going to take it all the way. You know, you got to go for the older quarterback, church. Come on, go for the older quarterback. Oh, you know, that's fun to watch the commercials and eat the cheese dip and do all that stuff. I really don't care who wins as long as it's a good game. But uh, I would like to see Justin sort of sad Monday morning in staff meeting. So, hi, Justin. It really is good to see each and every one of you. And today we start a new sermon series. It's only two parts. And it's entitled Sexual Immorality. God's will is that you abstain. I try to deal with the topic of immorality in our world, sexual immorality in our world, at least once a year to provide a little bit of insight, reflection, because the world itself is is very loud in what they are determining is right and what is wrong, what is of acceptability and what is not. And, you know, uh, I'm at a stage in my life, uh, being 57, that I've walked with the Lord a long time and I've heard a lot of messages from God's Word and I'm pretty comfortable that I know where God wants me to be and where he desires his church to be. And yet there's a lot of young people that uh, maybe they've not found themselves listening to the word of God, reading it, hearing, being in the class. And, and maybe you are a person that's walked with the Lord for a while, but it's just time to, to reevaluate and reset. We, we all have to reset. That's what the scriptures mean when they tell us to examine ourselves. Examine yourselves uh, because you may need to reset your life to be more in line with the Lord's will. So this message, I want it to be really uh, blanketed in, in grace. But I want it to to be solid on the foundation of what is it? What is it really that God wants from us when it comes into the area of our lives of morality and sexual purity? And so today we'll look at this idea in a general way with some specific areas. And next week, we will really hammer down on some specifics. You know, one thing is we celebrate uh, upcoming Valentine's Day. It's the month of hearts and the month of love. And we, we learn in Scripture there is a purity of love for the various relationships that God's created in the world. That there's a unique relationship between brothers in Christ. 
Jonathan and David had that unique relationship. They loved each other deeply as brothers in Christ. We see that same relationship with sisters in the Lord. We see it with church families. We see it in our relationship with Christ. And we see it in our relationship to God. There is a uh, passage of Scripture that I want to look at and highlight certain points uh, for your consideration. And it's always stood out to me because uh, in the religious arena, there is a fine line of being godly and being self-righteous, of being arrogant or being humble. And the reality is that we want to be humble and godly. And while we are set apart by God, as we are the church, a little flock here in Kentwood, Michigan, the church is the called out, the ecclesia, the called out. Come out and be separate from the world. The, the paradigm between the church and the world is one of darkness and light, and the church being the light. And knowing when to say something and when not to say something can be challenging. In our, in our lives to one another, in our lives as we live in this world, engaging people that don't know the Lord. How do you do that? When do you do that? Do you do that at all? You know, because we are the church and we don't want to be just about politics. But I want you to look at this. John the Baptist, he really is one of my favorite biblical characters. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness, in the middle of nowhere, of Judea, and saying, repent or turn away from the life you're living, for the kingdom of heaven has come near or is near. And you just hear John out in the wilderness, in the middle of nowhere, proclaiming as this great and high prophet of God that people need to repent. And it's falling on the ears of believers and unbelievers, Jews and non-practicing Jews. But he is saying, repent. Now, you just think about that. Here, we're going to see oh, he wore camel's hair and ate locusts and wild honey. He was a rough kind of looking character. If someone comes up to you and says, Ron, repent, you'd take it a lot easier now than you would have 30 years ago, I bet. I wouldn't have wanted to say it to you unless I had a good running head start.
Remember Ron when he held up his sign? Of what he was before Christ and what he was after Christ? Before Christ, he was a warrior of the world. Now he's a warrior for Christ. But to tell someone to repent could be arrogant. What do you mean, tell me? I'm not doing anything wrong. It's a challenge. John the Baptist, according to John chapter 1, there was a man sent from God. He's not there on his own. Sent from God, his name was John. He was sent from God. And he was coming to prepare the way for the coming of the Christ. And being sent by God, his opening message was repent. And he did it in the wilderness. And whoever was there, whoever came, whoever was interested, whoever was fascinated, whoever was curious, they came. And it didn't matter what their background was. That was his message. And it begs the question in our lives. Is that something that we are to be a part of anyway? In our relationships with humble boldness. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah. A voice of one calling in the wilderness. Just pictured out in the desert. Crying this message out. Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. Because the paths or the hearts of the people have become calloused and crooked. And so John is that messenger that God is using, God is sending to speak a hard truth to a world that's not going to get it for the most part, not going to understand it, but yet he was faithful to the call of God in his life. John's clothes were made of camel's hair. And he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. I think it's just to show us he's just living and depending on God out in the middle of nowhere. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. So... He stood up and did what God had given him to do and to say. And in part the result was there were those that were confessing their sins. So you see what repentance means. Confessing sins, confessing wrongdoing, turning away from the wrong and facing the right. And they were baptized by him in the Jordan River, River, the symbolization of being buried with Christ later. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees, a religious organization in his time period, Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection of the dead. Pharisees did. There were other differences, but that was the main one. But I want you to see, here is a religious organization of Sadducees and Pharisees, and there's many others. Just like in our time today, many religious organizations. 
But when John the Baptist saw them coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, you brood of vipers. Now, if you had an evangelistic meeting where you invited the community to come under the great tent, and you started off first, like, repent. And if you built to where, oh, more people are coming, look at those people. You're a brood of vipers. He didn't hold back what he believed and what he felt and what God was giving him to say. Evidently, uh, it seems to be implied that John knew the hearts and, and what they were thinking like Jesus did. God must have. You brood of vipers, you're, you're snakes, you're poisonous snakes. Who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Now, here's the reality. The Scriptures throughout the New Testament, beginning here in the Gospels, Paul hammers away in the book of Romans and his other epistles these warnings that God's wrath, His final wrath, is coming. And John says, who warned you about that coming wrath? Just don't get yourself wet and come here to be baptized. In your life, you have to make a decision because you are convicted by who God is and what God wants from you that you produce fruit in keeping with repent. You just can't, I repent, and then go on living and doing and thinking habitually without any change in your life. That's fake. That is unspiritual. John the Baptist says to those religious organizations, your heart's wrong. Your actions are wrong. Your words are wrong. He challenged the religious establishment. Now, I think there's got to always be a healthy balance. You just don't go around calling out a name or an organization of a church just because they do some things differently than you. But there is a time, at least we see in the life of John the Baptist and how God was using him to say, there's some things that's really wrong, really wrong with your hearts. You're the leaders, and you're coming, it looks like, by all appearances scripturally, to be baptized. But that's not what we're talking about here. This, this baptism that I'm performing, that later on Jesus Christ will do and baptize you in the Holy Spirit, is to bring about in your heart a desire to be right before God and be obedient to what God has already told us to be and to do. And you're the leaders and you're not doing it. You've got to produce fruit in keeping with your saying you're repenting. It's ridiculous and absurd for someone to say, I'm repenting of that and never change a thing.
Then we come up into Mark chapter 6. And now we move away from the religious organizations into the political realm. Now we've got King Herod, king of Judea. And what has happened is, King Herod has a brother named Philip, who has a wife named Herodias. And for whatever reason, King Herod sees Herodias and he wants her. And I'm king. And he takes her and makes her his wife. And John the Baptist, sent from God, challenges it and says it's wrong, it's sinful, and it's unlawful. And not only does Herod not like it, but Herodias hates John for it. For Herod himself had given orders to have John arrested, and he had him bound and put in prison. He did this because of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, whom he had married. For John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. It's wrong. So here, John the Baptist, who would be called a prophet of the Most High God, who Jesus would say of all the men that would ever be born on earth, there is no one greater than John the Baptist. That John the Baptist comes in the spirit and the power of Elijah, the great prophet of the Old Testament. It's wrong. Young people, if you're here this morning, young people, Cling to God's Word. Look to God. And see what it is God is asking of you. Parents, do your very best to not embitter your children, but to show them what it is that God wants from them and why He wants it from them. It may be later in life they remember it. It may be later in life that they come back to it. You know, we all have to fall down. If I could count the number of things my dad told me don't do it and that I just had to do it, we'd be here all day. We, we, we are like that. We... We want to do what we want to do. And if someone tells us no, sometimes we want to do it all the more. But John the Baptist takes a stand politically. If you've noticed, out of the 13 years I've been here, I've never focused on a candidate. What I have said is, Whoever is president of this United States, you need to pray for. It is God who puts our leaders in place. I don't care if you like them or I like them. And sometimes we start to get mouthy. And we're going against something that God's doing. 
So we pray for our politicians. We don't condemn. It's not ours to judge. But we can pray for them. Now, there are morality or immorality issues across the board. That there is a time that you have to step up and be heard and know that you're stepping up to be heard from a position of humble boldness simply because God has given you something to say in the appropriate time and space for the setting that you're in. I remember uh, years ago, noon in Georgia, I was in the locker room after working out, and I was going into the sauna, and these guys were, were just like vulgar jock talk. I mean, these guys were big guys. You know, like they sort of intimidating. Those are big guys. But they were talking about this woman at work and how evidently she was somewhat uh, loose in nature and just went from one man to the other and they talked about being with her and they were bragging and, and they may have just been bragging. And I just sat there and thought, Lord, this is horrible. And the one guy ended up out of the conversation, said something like, almost exactly like this. And as I was walking towards the sauna, and the three of them, who could say anything against that? And I could not shut my mouth. And I do think it was something that God gave me. And I just looked over them and said, God. Because in the other conversations and seeing them in that locker room, they talked about church and going to church. We can't be something different Monday through Saturday than what we are here on Sunday. And who could have a problem with something like this? Well, maybe God could. And there are things that we need to point out of religious organizations. There comes a time the United Methodist Church's move to embrace abortion is wrong. Abortion is killing baby. Back when I was first starting in ministry, if you're 57 or up, you probably remember people talking, oh, that's a slippery slope. But, you know, they used to refer to that slippery slope because where I'm from in the South, women, you couldn't wear pants to church. If you wore pants to church, you'd almost be outcast. Women wear dresses. Now, that's... Where do we get something like that? But when the United Methodist Church starts to realign their doctrine and teaching to support abortion, that's something that all of us, I, I would have no problem saying to someone, if you're in a church that's pro-abortion, 
then you need to get out of that church. You need to flee that church because that kind of mentality can begin to callous your heart. Life is precious. Life is created by God. And only God has the right to determine what will happen to a life. Are there some hard situations in that? Yes, the mother's life. Rape, incest, yes. I don't have all those answers. But I do know that the child in a mother's womb is a life. And politically speaking, now that New York has sanctioned and passed the law to say you can give abortions up until birth. And some are even saying after birth. Now this isn't just to like, I'm going to yell something out so I can be against something. Look at the world. No, no, no. It is coming from a place of John the Baptist like church organizations you're going the way of the world there's no difference between you and the night you are just as dark and you're leading people astray who's not going to know your word you grow up in that setting oh it's not really murder. In the Old Testament, they sacrificed their babies in the fires of Gehenna. And God said they were depraved. Depraved. You see, the further we allow ourselves to get away from the heart of what God wants from us, the more callous we become and the more depraved we become. You know, like when you come in from a a bright day outside and you walk into a movie theater and you can't see anything for a little bit, then all of a sudden your eyes dilate and it's just like, I mean, I can see everything now. That's sort of the way it is. Like, oh, that's not so dark anymore. I can see everything. I am here to say, no matter what it costs me. Abortion is murder. It is the killing of a child. And the world can go the way they want. And they can tell everybody how right it is. But it's wrong. It's wrong. And in humble boldness, and with love and the right opportunity, When I'm in a conversation or able to be in a conversation, I'm going to be in that conversation. We are stars in the universe being held out. We are the lamp that's to to be on the hill, not to be covered up, but, but to speak out. It's wrong for Herod to have married Herodias because it was his brother Philip's wife. There's black and white. And each and every one of you, maybe 
if you examine yourself wherever you are in the different things that relate to immorality or sexual immorality, you can like reset so that you can get more focused back on the Lord. So he immediately, this was the consequence, after Herodias' daughter dances in a spectacular fashion before the, the uh, leading uh, rulers under Herod, uh, Herodias says, I want John the Baptist's head on a platter, and, and she gets it. And they kill John. Herod was afraid of John, but he was curious and respected him, liked him, but didn't like what he was saying. Didn't really want to kill him, but killed him because he said, hey, I'll give you up to half my kingdom. I'm so pleased by the way you dance, and just tell me what you want. She says, my mom wants John the Baptist's head on a platter. And they cut his head off, put it on a platter, and brought it. Now, that's how ugly things can get. And that can be the consequences of standing your ground and doing what God's given you to do. So, John the Baptist challenged the religious organizations and the political powers. And he did it on the issues of morality. So, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Just look at this and work with me. He has shared several spiritual principles and truths about purity. As for the other matters, brothers and sisters, we instructed you how to live in order to please God. You see, the fact is, we are to find out in the scriptures what pleases the Lord. And we are to do those things. Those things do matter. Doing things that please the Lord should make us happy because we love him so much. You know, it's like I want my dad or my mom at different times in my life while they were alive to be pleased with me. Just like I want to be pleased with my kids and they they want to please me. And, and it just goes on and on and on. But look, we think that These things don't matter. It does matter. Your life does matter. It's a part of your process of sanctification and loving and showing how precious God is to you. So, first off, why why we dive ourselves into the Scriptures on a daily basis is to learn those things that please my God and learn those things that displease God. So, brothers and sisters, get in the Scriptures and find out what pleases God as, in fact, you are doing or you are living. But I want you to watch real close because he says, now I'm going to ask you and I'm going to urge you in the Lord Jesus, that's, you know, the motivator, to do it more and more. You're you're doing it. But there's room for improvement. There's room to grow in pleasing the God that you love in your life. If you don't love God, if God's not precious to you, if His Word is not invaluable to your life, this don't mean anything. 
But if it does, it pulls you back. Back before his throne to hear a word from him. And that's why I say to you every Sunday for the last 13 plus years and and Justin and Matt come along with me or John or Mike Boone, whoever's up there, stay close to the Lord and stay in his word. Stay close to the Lord and stay in his word. I don't know, I don't believe that you can stay close to the Lord without being in his word. Whether it's memorized but you, you, it, it draws you closer to God and it, it convicts and it pricks your heart. It divides joints and, and marrow and it, it reveals and you have these God sightings, these epiphanies that you will never have otherwise. But you can do more and you need to do more and you're doing good now, but find out what pleases the Lord and continue to please the Lord. In your life of sanctification, and he's getting ready to build on that here in just a couple of verses, this is what you do. For you know what instruction he gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. And I broke those verses up because if you look back into this verse, the motivator is the Lord Jesus. And here again, the motivator is the authority of the Lord Jesus. In this world, you know, you care about what other people think and what they have to say and maybe want to listen to what they share. But ultimately, the only motivator of what you will and won't be and what you will or won't do should be your master, Jesus Christ. And here's the main move of these verses. It is God's will that you should be sanctified. You see, the word sanctified means to be set apart for a special purpose. Thus, the church, ecclesia, the called out, the church set apart for God's special purpose. The Jewish nation, Israel, set apart the apple of God's eye for a special purpose. You are, I am, the church is to be sanctified. It is God's will. Let's talk just a little bit about being sanctified and sanctification. A person is sanctified or set apart or consecrated by God through their rebirth. Being Born again, washed in the blood of Jesus Christ, raised from death to life, that person, by God's complete and total power, is sanctified. They're set up here. They've been given this place of prominence and position. She is a daughter of the Most High God. He is a son of the Most High God. And all you could do is receive it faith. You couldn't earn it. You couldn't work for it. Nothing you can do helps you keep it. He gave it to you and filled you with His Holy Spirit. That is to be sanctified by God. But here, this sanctification is in the context of 
what God has given us, we are to produce the fruit in keeping with what status we have. Because I'm a son of God, I'm going to take what God wants from me more serious. And those are the things I'm going to bring my life. And the things that God wants out of my life, I'm going to trust Him and know that it's going to be a battle of the flesh because we have flesh and we do battle the flesh and our our will. Sometimes we hear Jesus saying, you know, the Spirit's willing, but the flesh is weak. There's the battle. Paul talks about it in Romans chapter 7. The things that I wanted to do, I didn't do. And the things that I didn't want to do, I just kept on doing. There's a battle. We all know there's a spiritual battle. But that spiritual battle that we're in doesn't change what God has done for us in that He has sanctified and set us apart. We are His. But in our lives, when it comes to morality and what's immoral, because of the position and the status of sonship, I'm careful to walk and live in a way that pleases God and to be continually repenting in the areas where I'm failing as I look to God. It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid. You know this word here, avoid, is the word abstain. Be absent from what? Sexual immorality. And we're going to look at this word sexual immorality and just see how does the Greek lexicon use this word throughout the Bible. But you should avoid it. You should abstain from it. Well, how, how do you do that? That each of you should learn. I mean, this is a learning process. You talk to people all the time that they reflect back to when they were addicted to pornography and to defeat and be victorious over that addiction changes their walk in the sanctification process. And the heart of any of this God's will. It's what He wants. And if it's what God wants, it's what it must be best for me. And if it's what God wants, it's what I want for me. That each of you should learn. You've got to learn, like, how do I act in a certain situation so I need to stay out of that situation? Could be the internet, it could be TV programs, it could be magazines. You may have to close your eyes as you pass by certain billboards. It may be certain settings that you just, I'm not going to be in that kind of setting, ever. You, just, you sort of got to learn what, what, what helps you because you want to abstain from it. You want to avoid it. But you learned to control you know the, the literal word there in the Greek is you learn to possess? And we just translate it control because it's easier to understand. But you learn to possess your body. You, you take control of yourself. 
and act in a way that is holy and honorable. Now this word, sexually immoral, right there it is. It's been that way as long as the Greek language existed. Illicit sexual intercourse. And here's the the broad but yet the specific areas. Adultery. You have sexual relationships with your spouse and only your spouse. Anything else is adultery. Period. That pleases God. That's what you want your kids to see. Not see the relationship. (laughs) But you want them to see a husband that can walk up to his wife while she's doing the dishes and kiss her on the back of the neck. And pat her on the butt. That's the kind of relationship. There's nothing wrong with that. That's for a husband and wife. Fornication. Fornication is to have sexual relationships when you're not married. It's wrong. It is sinful. It does not please God. So you abstain. You keep that absent in your life. Homosexuality and lesbianism sort of puts both there, but that's the way the word was used, of both. Homosexuality usually uh, referred to uh, same sex in terms of men. And the lesbianism, women. And maybe that's the reason that they make the, uh, the difference. Homosexuality and lesbianism is sinful. It's not right. It'll never be right. It's just as wrong as having sexual relationships with someone you're not married to. It's just as wrong as having sexual relationships with uh, outside of your marriage covenant. It's all wrong. And it's not like, oh, the, 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 the Christian church, they just, you know, they can't handle sex. Oh, yeah, we can. I've been married to the same woman for 35 years. I've been with her for 40 years because she's my high school sweetheart. Uh, And I'm telling you, there is nothing more treasured in our lives than our sexual relationship because it's built on a basis of love, commitment, and honor. It's not just sex. It's love. And there's a difference between sex and lovemaking. Sex is of the world. Loving your partner is something that's completely different. And maybe in one of these areas, maybe today, just because you do love the Lord, and maybe you have drifted a little, and you've taken your focus off, and you've got away from, there's a way to please God, and there's some right and wrongs, and I've let some areas of my life slip, maybe you can reset in these areas.
you see, it seems to me like this bestiality, the last listing for the sexual immorality word meaning, just shows how depraved our mind can become. Bestiality. Are you kidding me? But no, I'm not. I love I love animals. Had a cat for years because of Ashley and Jabez. The cat died last summer. Had to keep the cat in the house. It's a lot of work, you know, when you got a pet, keep the house. I didn't want D working that hard. That cat got ran over. Uh, and I was, like, really inside happy. Because <laughs> now no more indoor animals and halla, hallelujah. Dee had, she's not here today because she's not feeling great, so I thought I could share that, you know. It's just like I want to be able to share it with somebody. But a person can love an animal and defend an animal, and I'm right there with them. Don't want any animal harm. But we live in a society where you're telling me that you can blend up a baby at nine months before that baby's out of the mother's womb, and then you can be chastised, ridiculed, and blackballed because you don't take care of your animal right? Are you kidding me? There's not an animal in this world that's more precious than a child to God because that child is made in the image of God. And yes, the Holy Scriptures will tell you, as our resident doctor and veteran uh, Back here, John Barons will tell you, we are supposed to take care of our animals and bring them out of the cold and keep them warm and to do what's right. That pleases God too. But the value of human life, you promote and cheer killing it. And then want to point your finger and send people to jail because they didn't feed their dog right. It's a depraved mind. Maybe we can all reset just a little and a little more because of our love for the Lord. We're not to behave in passionate lust like the pagans. Why? Because they don't know God. That's, that's what you do when you don't know God. But to have His Spirit, to be sanctified and set up on a pedestal as the apple of God's eye as they were, and continuing to do these things. Paul said, no. It's wrong to stop it. You're acting like you don't know God. And that in this matter, no one should wrong or take advantage of his brother or sister. Now, that's not necessarily to say whenever you're acting sexually immoral... You're, you're hurting your brother that you know or brother in Christ that could be. But it, it's like the pornography stuff. That's, that's someone's daughter. 
That's someone's son. That's someone. You want to talk about depravity? It's someone's child. We're abusing, molesting, raping young children. Sold into sex, slavery, sex trafficking. It's overwhelming in our country. Pornography raises more money than the sale of crops in America. It's not very funny when you start talking about children being abused or trafficked. You start to see this is really depraved. This is this is a slippery slope. You don't take advantage. The, the word literally is you don't defraud. You don't cheat your brother or sister in this way. It's wrong. The Lord will avenge is the word. NIV has punished. The Lord will avenge because He is the avenger of all those who commit such sins. So we can be on His pedestal. We can have our position and have the Holy Spirit. And He is warning, warning, warning. If you behave like this as my children, I will punish you. I don't want to be punished by God. I just don't want it. I don't want to be punished by God. Do you want to be punished by God? Look, God knows how to take care of punishing people. How many years were Israel in agonizing captivity, working hard, not eating, not having a land of their own. 430 years, almost five generations. God knows how to handle punishment. And God disciplines the children that He loves. I just don't want it. And I hope you don't want it. And that's why we reflect and examine and maybe need to reset Reset in, what am I watching? What's the difference of going to a rated XX movie and watching the Game of Thrones? What's the difference? There's no difference. I canceled with a man and his wife that used to go to church here. And through God's providence, he led him back into my life this past weekend, actually. They're divorced. Marriage over. Family broken. And they used to watch sex videos together. Nothing's wrong with that, right, Patrick? Yes, Yeah. Number wrong, it's just immoral. Number two, it's taking advantage of someone, son or daughter. Number three, God says abstain and stay away from that. Number four, that's not real. I don't care if your wife's sitting right there by you. Are you kidding me? Have you allowed your mind to become that callous and you're sitting here in church every Sunday and I preach for six years and that's where you are? Now, God has to move your hearts. 
You're just as much of a John the Baptist as I am. The Lord will punish all those who commit such sins as we told you and warned you before. For God did not call us to impure, but to live a holy life. Another way of saying to live a consecrated life, to live in sanctification, to live for Him, to walk in the light. For anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being but God. See, so this morning... It's, it's not on me to change your heart. I can't do any of that. Only God can change your heart, as I've been saying. But it is upon me to do and to say, no matter what the consequences, what God has given me to do and say at this point in time in history in this message. And as I've said before, I would rather ruin your day if it saves your soul. You're not rejecting me. You're rejecting God. had a conversation about three years ago with a lesbian. Went to what used to be called, you know, the bean, the beanery coffee place and sat down. And she was looking for permission. But we had developed a friendship through church. And she was telling me about her struggle and battle what do you think? What do you think? Now, there you are, right? It's time to speak. God's put you in that place and position. Someone's asked you what you think. Just a quick aside. Careful not to interject what you think until someone asks you, wait. Because then they're listening. I said, well, let's ask this question. Do you believe the Scriptures? I believe the scriptures. I, I, I love God. I believe the scriptures. Let's look at them. And we talked about him and said, you just need to seek the Lord and look and I refer you to this and if you want to talk later, we'll talk. And the meeting was over. Didn't meet for almost eight months. And she said, I want to tell you that when we left that first meeting, I was madder than hell at you. But God pricked my conscience. And I am pursuing Him, and He's changed my heart. I've never heard of that. Now, I know it happens, but I know that's the first time in my life that it happened, that I really believe that it was genuine. The Word of God is what pricks the heart. It's what heals the heart. Not our righteous indignation. So before the whole world, we should be able, in love and humble boldness, to take our stand. Whether it's in the religious arena or the political arena, when there is a gross, depraved immorality, the people of God have to speak out in mercy and compassion. Therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject man, but rejects God's word, the very word, the very God who gives you his Holy Spirit. And then we'll look at the last two verses. Flee from sexual immorality. Flee from those things. Run from them, just like Joseph ran. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but 
Whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? That's what Paul's reminding them of. This is what's happening. This is what you're doing. But this is what you are. Don't you remember this? Don't you know this? Well, take notice. You are not your own. It's not about what pleases you and what's easy for you. It's what pleases God. That's your goal and your aim. You were bought at a price. The sacrifice of Jesus Christ suffering on the cross. Paid your price. Therefore, in conclusion, in sum total, honor God with your bodies. Would you pray with me? Fathers, our prayer teams come forward and we sit and just uh, sort of digest this message. Lord, we thank you for your word as a reminder, as a sword that does pierce. We thank you, Lord, that uh, you care enough about us to warn us We thank you for John the Baptist, Lord, and his conviction to do what you gave him to do. Give us that same conviction. Lord, let anyone that's here, all of us in some way here, can come along before you and reset in these areas. We need your spirit to do it, Lord. We need your strength. Help us to reflect how precious you are to us and what you have given us by living a life that brings you honor so that we really do shine like stars in a dark universe. I pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. And together we say, Amen. Let us stand and worship the Lord.